Hello, and welcome to Fintech Surge Podcast, creating a wealth of opportunities through fintech innovations in the Middle East for the Middle East. Powered by Fintech Surge, the region's leading fintech festival, hosted by Dubai World Trade Center, alongside Jitex Global. Hi, welcome to the Fintech Surge Podcast. I'm excited to be joined today by the one and only Alan Vaxman, founder and general partner at Digital Horizon. Thank you for joining us, Alan. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. <laughs> Great. And so for those of you who are unfamiliar with Digital Horizon, it's actually a, VP, a VC firm based out of London with an extremely impressive portfolio, if I must say so myself. Uh, they represent some of the biggest up-and-coming names in technology, including Lemonade, Klarna, Monday.com, Bolt, Abli, Kuva, Trax, Honest, and a whole bunch of others. So, you know, Alan, thanks for joining us. And, and I kind of wanted to, to start off this podcast in a similar way that I start off most of the podcast with the famous question, in your own words, what does fintech mean to you? I think it's, it's actually a very easy thing. And, uh, uh, first of all, it's two words. Fin, that means financial. That means anything which has got to do with finance. And what does finance do? Only four simple things. We either transact, so we buy things from us, we, or we borrow, like loans, uh, credit cards, and things, or we insure, and that's all insurance products, uh, or we save, and that's all your investments and saving products. That's what it is. So that's the finance part of it. But there's also a second part of it called tech. It has to have technology behind it. It has to be scalable. It can't be just by very clever four bankers. So those two, finance and technology, give you a fintech together. But let me know if it's explained well. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so obviously, you know, that's a, it's a great introduction to, you know, what fintech is all about. But, you know, obviously, you know, you, you know, running a VC where you invest into a lot of fintechs, you know, how did you actually develop an interest in the fintech space? Um, I think it's more coming out with a background of founding partners. So my background really comes from finance. You know, I did risk financial risk for many years, I did credit, um, I did derivatives. So coming out of that world, you you really understand the real thin part of it, the business needs about it, the gaps, which are in the current financial services offered around the world. And then, then what you do is you try to introduce technology. How I got into that is uh, by building two companies. So by co-founding two companies, building them from scratch, my co-founders and then exiting them that's how you really kind of understand how the tech is built what it takes to build a great company uh and with the financial grounds that's how i i came to fintech i guess personally. <laughs> that's great and do you believe that your um you know your path to fintech is uh, a common path does do people typically start off as finance people and build technology around their finance or is it more of tech people that decide to break into the finance space? I think it's both ways. So if you look at the B2C, most of the B2C founders actually come from a tech space. They're not mm -hmm. financiers. They're more consumer focused, understanding the pains of the clients, understanding how the e-commerce work, and how the digital products really built. When you look at the B2B fintechs, there are more financial backgrounds because it's more technical. You need to understand what clearing is, what custody is, what acquiring is, and on and on, which are very specific 
to understand in the finance. So B2C, I would say 65 to 35%, 65% of founders coming more from a tech and product background, product building background. And I, I think the opposite is for, for B2B. Uh, you got more founders coming from a financial background. Yeah, sure. And why do you think that is? I mean, I think that it kind of makes sense to me that the the B2C, they understand the needs of the common person. And so they might have you know a technical background and they're build, building something around finance because that's what they understand. But yeah, B2B, whenever you're having to deal with like institutions and banks and like really the back end nitty gritty of what goes behind finances, that might be more of a finance person that decides to create technology around their space. Correct. Uh, I think it's all about really comfort of knowledge where you are. Where if mm -hmm. you are a technology person and you understand how technology works, and you're also an intelligent person, you understand the pains of a consumer, that's where your consumer tech, which is a lot of it is fintech, you like consumer digital banks, like everybody knows the top chime, revoluts of this world, uh, new bank in Brazil. So that's where usually it comes from. Some of them still have a financial background. It's not like all of them don't, uh, but it's not as necessary. Mm -hmm. When you're dealing with a big bank and that's your main client or a huge custodian or a clearinghouse or an exchange, you need to understand how to speak to those people. You need to understand what their pain is. And a common man on the street, which is not working fine, it's just doesn't understand that. It's, I think that's where the logic comes from. Yeah, I imagine that it could be a tough shell to crack as well when you're dealing with the big banks and the clearing houses and the custodians. It's it's not exactly that everybody is welcome to have a sit-down meeting with you know the head of a bank that's going to implement these decisions. Absolutely. I think it's another one is a completely different sales model. Mm -hmm. So... Well, when you're working in a B2C in Fantech, most of your sports it's now done via digital marketing. So that's digital channels like we all know, Facebook, TikToks, Instagrams, Googles of this world. When you really be building a B2B Fintech, almost there it's still kind of old school business development. It's contacts, it's sitting around the table, as you said, with those people, speaking the same language, understanding and solving the complex problems which those institutions have. Right, understanding their business interests as well, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So, so you know, thanks for thanks for that overview. I, def I guess it definitely makes sense. Uh, you know, if I was to go into fintech, it would definitely be more from a consumer side because, as a consumer, I understand the needs and needs of consumers. But if I had to go sit down with you know some of these banks or institutions, then you know I would be way out of my depth there. Um, so, so tell me a little bit more about the, you know, digital, digital horizon and how, how do you, you know, kind of build your portfolio? So I think we actually almost started digital horizon VC as any digital company starts. Uh, we started from a venture builder in 2016, really starting there. What is a venture builder? It's a venture building studio. It's when you build startups. You really put the money and you get busy with building it. And we built about six startups and uh, most of them were exited, sold. And that's how we got our experience and said, well, we understand now how this is done. And in 2018, we raised our first fund to invest in them. And that's, that is the journey that's going on this. And once the first, first fund has now been fully allocated, invested in 26 companies, 
And wow. then, then you raise your second fund and a third fund. And that's how the evolution really comes through uh, on the VC side. We also realized from our venture building days is that in order to invest in something in real venture, and not a lot of this stuff, which is, you know, investing in 40 billion companies, which is more of a, I would say, close to public investment and P investments than the venture itself, once they grow very big, uh, is you need to have the specialization. You need to have really strong understanding of the vertical. And that's why we stuck to the fintech and B2B SaaS uh, story around the world. So we uh, see that the same business models, which worked in the US, which worked in Israel, uh, which worked in uh, then in Europe, then it comes to Middle East and comes to India. It's a very cyclical thing because as different as we all are, the fundamental financial needs are actually quite similar. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, 26 companies that you've invested in, I mean, you must have a, a clear formula for you know the companies that come in that you're you're going to choose, and you know so you know with the success that the companies that you're invested into, with how many of them are exiting and how many of them are, are becoming successful startups, is it a matter of you know the ecosystem that you're building and the funds that you're putting into them, or are these companies that you know, they would have been successful because they're amazing companies by amazing founders and whichever VC they'd have gone with, they'd have become successful. Look, I think there are two parts of it. One is uh, how do you identify the companies? Right. Uh, and we really do kind of this dual sword approach, as we uh, say. say. Uh, we One is we issue our annual fint fintech trends which uses a podcast so anybody can download from our website, where we basically discuss that's where we see the fintech is going. So, for example, three, four years ago, we said it was open banking. We, we see for 2022 another trend around gig economy and self-employed and credit around those products. So we issue those and we try to invest according to the trends that we identified. So forward-looking trends, right? Yeah. yeah, trends are usually two, three years old at least, sometimes four or five. Uh, the second, uh, how, how we do it, is that by coming to the companies which fall in those trends and identifying great teams. So we spend a lot of time trying to really show them that Digital Horizon VC is not just an investor, but it's a smart money. It's a money which right. helps. It's people that can understand the business and give you advice, connect you to other businesses like that. So. I myself sit on various boards and I specialize in fintech, SME, self-employed quite a lot. So you will see me kind of understanding that ecosystem quite well. And that's our value to the company. Because money is money, but you need to have the right people around the table of investors, the right, right people around the board to really take you the next step. Exactly. So money money is a tool, right? I mean, that that's really what the whole point of this is. Yeah. I think yep. what, we, what we have, especially during the boom, which we had uh, uh, last three years, I would say, mm -hmm. uh, that money is plentiful. Do you have the smart investors? Do you have uh, people that not just follow the herd, that, but are trying to do something different? That, that, that's much harder to find, I think. 
Yeah, absolutely. And so I, I guess one of the, the questions, you know, as you're mentioning and you're talking about the, the different startups that you invest in and what you look for, um, you know, I'm kind of wondering, do you ever get, you know, that entrepreneur that you really, really believe in who they are and what they're capable of? And maybe they have the wrong idea, but you don't want to turn them down because, uh, you know, you like who they are, but you don't think that their their idea or their startup is as forward looking as you want to be or they don't necessarily fit into your portfolio do you ever try to guide them into a different direction just so you can invest into that particular person well there are two questions i think unless i'm going to answer both try and answer both of them first one do you sometimes just fall in love as an entrepreneur of course you do mm-hmm. and that's one of the risks actually because yes. a lot of those people are great sales <laughs> the greatest product and the opposite in fact there is a big danger that if somebody really makes you fall in love and really kind of the salesy entrepreneur Sometimes the execution may be not as great in our experience. So that's why you have investment committees where at least three partners haven't seen the the entrepreneur and two others do because you're trying to separate the tasks from the charms. Mm -hmm. You absolutely meet the entrepreneur. You absolutely speak to them. At least two partners meet them, but you have some which didn't. That's uh, to, to make sure you're more objective around because a lot of them are incredible people, whatever they build something or not. Uh, <laughs> the second part of your question is, do you try and uh, kind of guide them in it? Absolutely on early stages. So that's why our fund more invests around round A or late seed, where you can still influence the strength in the actual direction of the company, try to make sure that from the lessons that we learned from other companies we invested in, this company learns from, that works, that didn't. Uh, and when you're in a very late stage companies, which as portfolio matures you will be, yeah, I think that there is less of that. Yeah, there, there you can try, but there you're more focused on the economics and making sure that the company actually gets to the break even and profitability as opposed to just burning investor money. So you influence more around that as opposed to strategic directional role. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I'm hearing a lot of, uh, you know, the guidance that Digital Horizon gives to these entrepreneurs and to these companies. It's not a matter of, I see that you have something with high potential, I'm going to give you money and then just set targets and let you run and now I'm your boss. But it's actually, you know, you guys do care about the success of these companies and these entrepreneurs and you actually give them the tools that they need in order to you know, obviously be successful for themselves and for Digital Horizon. Um, I'm glad you heard about that because we take great pride and I personally really actually love that job of helping to build and co-build because we come from a building, remember we've talked about Venture Builder? So the entire building is really in our DNA, not only investment. Absolutely. I think there is a very different approach that we need to really take to the VCs. VCs are not big pockets of money which just give you in this. They have to help you build. The big mm. pockets of money are big sovereign funds. And yes, that's their job to allocate. VC's job is also to help you grow. And I, I see it as a profound difference of how we operate to, to many other, maybe even bigger funds than we are. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I've seen it, you know, I've personally uh, had my own agency at one point as well. And uh, yeah, the investment that we got, uh, it didn't sound anything like what you're describing Digital Horizon does for its uh, entrepreneurs. Basically, uh, 
yeah, I mean, just as you described, is here's some money, go make me some money back. And, you know, that's really just not a, a great way to be the people that uh, you're now becoming a family with. And so yeah, I, I know that uh, this is an LP job for me. Yes. And LPs absolutely. are paying VCs or GPs, general partners, not to do exactly the same job, just give money. <laughs> See, and I think that's, that's, I think there's a little bit of a problem with our industry right now because it became so big so fast that people forgot what's the difference really between LP job and a GP as us, general partner, managing partner, uh, job on the market. Absolutely. And, and so I know that you, you've touched on the, the Venture Builder program a, a little bit so far. Um, is this a, a new program? No, I think it was the oldest program. As I said, we started from it. Yes. Uh, and the fund really grew out of it. Fund is obviously our primary business. Mm -hmm. We still say, do some venture building, mostly in Europe at this stage, in the UK. Uh, but quite limited. Now, honestly, for various simple reasons, not that we love the numbers, the fund has just grew much bigger and it's a much bigger business mm -hmm. uh, than this. Venture building is really when we see a talented entrepreneur really wants to co-build something with us. We don't do more than one, two simultaneously. Yep. Uh, and we're really looking for kind of real partners in there because we, we, we're not an accelerator. So it's not like we give you 100K and see what happens and mm -hmm. give you some advice. We build it together with you. We give you the marketer. We give you the designer, the actual person. Wow. Uh, we, so, so we become co-founders with these people. Therefore, it, it's, it is a lot of bandwidth. And therefore, we are quite, <laughs> uh, I would selective. say, quite selective there. Mm. How and what areas. And we have to add quite a lot. I wouldn't say add value. We build together. Where with the VC fund, as we discussed, you need to help and uh, bring a lot of value, try to help with the strategic directions, connections, in a venture builder, you build a company. That's great. And honestly, you know, the, the story, the journey of Digital Horizon, starting off as a venture builder, so knowing how to build and grow companies, and then becoming someone that builds companies and invests in companies, to me, that just makes the most sense. It seems like a logical path that I don't know that many VCs really take. I think we see that a lot of VC founders like myself have built something before. So that's, that's great. Yeah. So I really like those and I, and I find easier to, to work with them. Uh, and all of them, obviously, VC founders like myself also got investment backgrounds coming from investments. You know, this. But uh, I completely agree. I think when somebody runs a VC fund but never really touched a tech company, it's quite difficult, I think. I agree. All, all they look is the figures. And early stages, the figures don't say that much. Yeah, and I think that uh, that's one of the quickest way to kill an entrepreneur spirit is get them out of that creative mode and into give me the reports every single week, every single month. That, that, the other thing is having that skill, it protects the investors into the fund. So when we're speaking to our investors, LPs, they they rely on our expertise to really see is it a real business or is it a gimmicky presentation, mm -hmm. you know, with, with this. And it's not always easy to see if you don't have any technical understanding. You never build those companies. You're just looking at the kind of presentation and and the slides. 
So I think this is also kind of a service to our investors, which are big family offices, LPs, pension funds, institutionals, that their money is a little bit more protected. Absolutely. And and it makes total sense. I mean, it is, is makes everyone feel a little bit better. It helps the LPs feel a little bit better about where's their money going. And it helps entrepreneurs know that, hey, you know, I actually have somebody on my side that's like going to help me uh, achieve the vision that we're trying to achieve here. It's not a big test. Yeah, it's not. Uh, it's, look, we, we definitely don't do pray and pray. Quite mm. selective in what we invest in. That's why we focus only on two verticals. But we understand those verticals quite well. Yeah, it seems like you really do. Uh, so what's next for Digital Horizon? So we uh, we opened up uh, our office in Dubai in oh. end of last year. Uh, we are looking really to look at the MENA and Africa region from there. We're identifying uh, kind of new startups because traditionally we are more Europe and Israel. Uh, our Tel Aviv office does a lot of work now, uh, bringing some of the tax skills and everything to Dubai uh, and to the region in January. So this is a new frontier for us. Uh, we are raising a third fund, which will have some solid allocation to the region, uh, MENA and uh, Northern Africa. And I think that's, that will be quite exciting for us. We also had some allocations now done in, in Southeast Asia and India, which are new markets, and we had a new partner joining us from the region. So that's, that's I guess, things. But our big thing, yes, it's our third flagship fund, which is now being raised. And uh, we're going to be busy with that, looking at the new, new economies, and uh, while still focusing, obviously, on our core strengths, which is around Europe. Uh, and uh, fintech and B2B SaaS. That's great. And, and it's very exciting to hear that a, a VC that is as successful as you are is, you know, raising another round of funding to, you know, to support these startups and entrepreneurs. And it's also, you know, very exciting on our end to hear that you know, you're, you're starting to focus a lot more on expanding uh, towards the Middle East. So, you know, how do you feel UAE is progressing in terms of creating and adopting to, to new technology? Um, I think it's actually doing very well. I think it's really opening up. And uh, uh, yes, it's early days comparatively to this, but I think that's why we use our Tel Aviv uh, office and uh, Levy and I, which spend a lot of time in Israel, really to learn some of the lessons, how Israel became a tech hub, really comparatively a small country. And what what can the Dubai and the region, uh, generally UAE, do to see to learn from that success story? There are very simple mechanisms that we see, and this is, for example, when the funds are given money from a local LPs, from a local investors, at least twenty percent, the funds need to invest in the region. Uh, there is there's lots of kind of those mechanisms which we see there. So. Answering your question more directly, I think it's a great start. I think it's good that it's starting to be a little bit more open ecosystem and not a closed ecosystem, because digital needs scale. You can't just be a huge unicorn, but in a small country. And again, using Israel as an example, it's a small country, but it's, it's it has the third biggest unicorn count and used to be second till the last year uh, in the world. So uh, open ecosystem is good. 
need to work a little bit on the investments and investment schemes and the funds that don't just fly in, but start basing here. And then the funds usually will base if they've got the investor base there. That's normal for them. But uh, I sincerely believe that if we are very active three, four years, Dubai and UAE can become a hub from this start, at least for the region. Uh, more realistically, I think we've got about five, six years to go. Oh, that's great. I mean, I'll tell you, I've been in Dubai for eight years now, and the transformation of you know where we were when we first started to where we are now, um, I mean, it, personally, from a consumer experience, it's really, you know, kind of shifted from the times where, you know, we used to have to pay cash for everything, literally like uh, seven or eight years ago, um, you know, taking a cab ride, uh, paying for some restaurants at the mall, you would still need to pay cash only. And now it's just so much easier. Everybody accepts credit cards. Everybody accepts the the tap to pay. Um, it's done. It's come a long way in a short period of time, and I'm excited about, you know, what is the next, you know, four to five years going to look like, considering how much it has opened up in, in recent times. And you know that uh, you know the podcast is obviously powered by FinTech Surge, which is held at Dubai World Trade Center from October 10th through October 13th, and you know it really is you know the flagship event for FinTech in the region. You know we're looking at uh, about. 100,000 plus visitors uh, between the Jitex event and FinTech Surge. And we are bringing you know, 800 plus investors seriously looking into, you know, investing into these startups and, and seeing who we're showcasing, you know, what is coming up in these trends. So, you know, as a VC and as a VC was invested in quite a few, you know, well-known successful startups, how important do you think events like FinTech Surge is in building the FinTech community? Absolutely crucial. I think that any hub which one's like to build is usually built around networking, around people coming together. And that's uh, organizing those events, making sure that there are VCs, there are startups, there are LPs there, uh, meeting together, is, in my opinion, absolutely key. We definitely are participating. And uh, this is how this is all born. When people meet together and they decide where, where we're going to all meet, we're going to meet at the search in Dubai. Same thing is happening if you look at the, the events in uh, Berlin, which is becoming quite a big European center, in the US center. So if you want to establish yourself, have at least two or three of those a year. Have a flagship one which is uh, the search, and then maybe have one, two very specific ones, some more specific to VCs, some more specific to the LPs, some maybe to startups, yeah? Mm -hmm. But, but th that, that is absolutely the right strategy, in my opinion. Great. Well, you know, I thank you so much for your time, and, and it really seems like uh, Digital Horizon is, is everything that we look for in a, a partner. I mean, you're building the ecosystem, you're building the startups that, you know, really are progressing, you know, fintech uh, across the world. And, and it's great to see that you guys are expanding to the region as well. Um, so I look forward to seeing you in October for the fintech surge event. And, uh, you know, until then, you know, I look forward to, to having a lot more of these conversations with you. Thank you very much, Professor. It was great speaking to you. Thank you so much, Alan. Well, we'll talk to you later and have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. Thank you for listening. Subscribe for all the latest updates 
on fintech in the Middle East and join the conversation over on our social channels. We look forward to seeing you at Fintech Surge in the Dubai World Trade Center from October 10th to October 13th. I'm Stephen Bess, and this has been the Fintech Surge podcast, creating a wealth of opportunities.